0: So, you are in um, understanding, interpreting, and teaching the Bible, um, so if that's not the place you hoped you would be, uh, this is your opportunity to uh, find that other place that you want to be in. We we're glad to have you, but you uh, know everybody wants to do a little different thing today at Synergy. Um, for, I know several of you ha- have signed up to go both sessions. Um, if you did not you can go on the sked app and get the notes for the second session they are getting being recorded Uh, and so uh, the second session uh, the way this is going to lay out is this first session we're going to look at understanding and interpreting the last session we're going to zero in on how do we prepare how do we take that thing that we've done that work we've done and then put that into a format that we can communicate and so that's going to be kind of the lay of the land and uh, I told everybody before I'll say it again, as a student, I always hated the professor that I had to keep up with on PowerPoint, where I'm constantly feverishly taking notes. I won't do that to you. These are the notes. Now, I'll I'll say things that aren't on these pages, so you might want to write some things down. But I want you to have these as a tool and as a guide um, as we come to the task of interpreting the Bible. Interpreting the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple of technical terms, and then we're going to kind of dive into a fun little exercise. Um, You didn't get one. They're right in the back, right in the back of the door. um, On the chair. On the chair. On the chair. Um, There's a couple of words that you might hear from time to time. I'm not going to use them that much today. I know there are um, people in the room who um, are pastors. Um, and you've been through some level of training or whatever it may be, I- I'm probably not going to talk to you that much. There are a lot of folks in our room that have never experienced anything quite like this. And so that's, that's who we're going to talk to today. Um, so I won't use words like exegesis. Okay, um, Exegesis is just simply the, the technical term used for interpreting Scripture. I-, I won't use the word hermeneutics, which is also the art and... Practice of uh, interpreting scripture, um, but those are the technical terms that would most commonly be used. Today, we're going to just talk about interpretation, um, we're going to talk about understanding. Uh, they all mean the same things. Um, I could stand up here and, and, and try to impress you with big words, but that would be useless, wouldn't it? And so, we're not going to do that. So, before we get going really today, uh, I'm, I want to ask um, can someone or some group of people tell me? What the Wizard of Oz is about. So we have a, so we have some. Dorothy's trying to get back home. We have a young gal that gets swept away um, by a tornado, and she's trying to get back home to Kansas. Any any other details? Um, She's off to see the Wizard. There's even a song about it. Um, Right? Yellow brick road. Right? She meets people along the way. She's got red, red glittery shoes. She's got red glittery shoes. Ruby shoes. Right? Ruby slippers. She right? Went, Her comrades didn't have a brain, courage or... Man, you guys, you guys have the story. But what if I was to tell you that, that the, um, the Wizard of Oz is actually not about, um, about a little girl, teenage girl, who... Who finds her way to this magical land to try to find her way back home. What if I was to tell you that that was actually an allegory about the gold standard, the silver standard, and the dollar standard at the turn of the 20th century? That what that story is about, that, that this young gal from the Midwest, the common American, would meet a scarecrow who represents a farmer would meet a tin man who represents a worker. would meet a cowardly lion who represents a politician who's not confident in their position. To go to a wizard on a yellow brick road who is all smoke and mirrors and doesn't actually have a plan. Yeah, it's a little bit what they're talking about, right? Talk about a wicked witch of the West, which is the metaphor for the president at the time. And actually, she doesn't have ruby slippers. They did that for the movies because on black and white film, you can't see the difference between silver and gold. And so she has silver slippers walking on a yellow brick road. Here's a very common story to all of us, one that is so familiar to us we have all at one point or another been terrified um, by flying monkeys when we were little, right? Um, Here's that story, and here's a story that all of us would say this is what the Wizard of Oz is about, yet what we disregard is that this was written in a particular time, to a particular place, to a particular people, in a particular way to produce a particular point. And that is the task of interpretation. Because the Bible, the Bible is a, a collection of writing, it's actually not a book, it's an anthology of 66 different writings with 40 different operas over 1,500 years and three different languages that is written to tell a very specific story. And it's written in a time, in a place, to a people that is not us. See, that's one of the, the myths that we get into when we come to the Bible, is that it was written to us. Certainly, there is an aspect in which that was true. That it is written to us. It is for us, right? But we weren't the original audience of the Bible. And so part of our task is to dig, dig deep, so that we don't do what we just did with the Bible, uh, with the Wizard of Oz, with the Bible. Or we think we know, but we're actually missing the bigger point before we get into the big picture of how do we do this, because we're going to get nuts and bolts today, um, one of the things we have to have a conversation about is what is the Bible? Now it sounds like a funny question to ask. What is the Bible? Many times we we don't even stop to reflect upon this, but this is a really important question because we could look at the Bible and say the Bible is in fact literature. It is in fact the the most well-known piece of literature in all of human history. Right? But I don't believe there's probably anybody in the room who would say this is just literature right it's not just literature it's but it's alive so here's how we come, sometimes come to the Bible right we come to the Bible and we say the Bible is our manual for life or the Bible is that encouragement that I have for my soul but what if I were to tell you that the Bible is those things but it's also not those things that the Bible's primary objective is not just to give you a manual for how to do life. Because if it does that, you and I both know there are a lot of things in the, that, are, that are not written in the Bible. Uh, if, if, if the Bible is supposed to be a manual for life, there would be a lot more um, information in the Bible on parenting. There right. be a lot more information on the Bible on, 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 on being married. Yeah. Right? So there, there are big gaps. If the Bible is just a manual for life, there are big gaps. Um, if the Bible is supposed to be my, my encourager, man... There are sections of the Bible that are not very encouraging. So what is the Bible? We don't have time to unpack all of this. In fact, if, if you were to take a course um, in this, in uh, graduate or undergraduate course, or maybe even in OSOM, you, you'd find we'd spend a lot of time in this. Uh, the Bible, in short, is the revelation of God to humanity. It's the revelation of God. Every single page, every single story, every single account is the revelation. It's saying to us, this is who God is. Because here's the, 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 the dirty little secret. Is that if you didn't have the Bible, you wouldn't know who God is. Uh, theologians will call this special revelation. There's a general revelation or what's called natural revelation which is we can walk outside and see trees and bushes and oceans and mountains and go, man, someone intelligent must have designed this and we can divine a few different concepts about that creator um, that they're orderly, maybe that they're just, um, maybe that they're balanced or, or, or even or whatever we might find, be able to deduce from creation but we cannot really know God Except that God would step into our world and say, this is me. Well, ultimately, he did that through Jesus Christ. He is the, the special revelation of all of history. But he does that with the Scripture. That my main objective in coming to the Bible isn't just to operationalize it. It isn't just for me to do something. It's for me to see someone. Okay? And because I see someone, I now know how to live. Because I know myself in light of who God is. In light of how he designed me to be. And the relationship he's working to restore in me. Okay? And so if I understand that, I approach the text very, very differently. I approach the text to see God. To see God. Now, with that in view. Because we have so much we need to cover today. I'm going to give you um, five things. Five things that are going to be helpful to you in understanding and interpreting the Scripture. Okay, These five things are, are, are just the basics. In fact, I've, re- I've had three hermeneutics courses in my academic life. Um, all of them basically covered these five things in, in, their, in their, their coursework at varying levels. The first thing we have to look at when we are interpreting Scripture is context context and what I'm talking about here when we talk about context is literary context literary context one of the things that happens when we come to the Bible uh, commonly and I see this as a I pastor a local church okay um, I, I get the opportunity to be an instructor in various a- a- avenues and places uh, and one of the things I see most often is we um, especially in the Western American church really like the verse Okay, we really like verses like I can all I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We like verses like uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans that I have for you. Right, and those verses, man, they make it on our coffee cups. They make it on our our, our posters on the wall. We put cats on them, and then it's happy. Right, everything's good. Okay, um, that's that's what we do. But the most important um, unit, literally, of any anything is not the sentence you would never ever read a book and go this this sentence right here whoo right you go that book You remember that point in the story when they're doing this and it led to this right and what we do sometimes is we look so narrowly we kinda automatize the text we look right down at the smallest units and we decide this is what it means this is what it means when in fact the most important thing we do is look at context We look at what's around it. What came before it, which is called the immediate context. What's coming after it, which is also the immediate context. Those things, especially when you read the narratives of the Bible, what comes before and what comes after are really, really important. There are details there that might inform the words you're reading in the passage that you're studying. And then we look at the broader context of the whole book of the Bible. You see, these authors, these authors had an intention. They were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to sit down and and deliver an idea, okay? And that idea is so, so, so important. And they pick and choose. So let's take the book of Acts, for instance. Um, The book of Acts, um, if we were to define the book of Acts, many people would say it's a history of the early church. And in some sense... That is, in fact, true. But there's a sense in which what Luke is doing is he's not aiming to simply write a history. We say this event, came after this event, which came after this event. What he's trying to do is what's called a historiography. Which is to say, here's a set of historical events. And I'm going to to choose the ones that I, I feel are helpful to help me make the point that I'm trying to make. Similar to what we would do in a sermon. Well, we say, we're not going to include everything, we're going to include these things. And so, we've got to really ask the question, if this verse is true and this is the context, well then what is the author trying to do in the book? Because it might inform what he's trying to do in that set of verses. What's funny is, is that when, when we look at passages, I, I, I offered a few moment, a moment ago. Like, uh, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember vividly, I grew up in church... And I remember vividly being an uh, 11-year-old baseball player going up to bat, and my mother, against my will, um, goes up to the chain-link fence and would scream, You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you! <laughs> oh, and at that point, you just want to spontaneously combust and like, disappear and never appear again, right? Now, I-, I don't want to slam on my mom too much this afternoon. But my mom is wildly taking that verse out of, out of context. Because what is Paul talking about before and after that passage? He's saying, you can go through difficult times. You can be content. You can have nothing. And you can do it. Because the Lord's strength is, is the food for your soul. Jeremiah 29.11 is another classic example. We love that verse. For I know the plans I have for you. But if you look at the context, the Israelites are in Babylon. And what he's saying is, quit complaining. I put you here. I put you here. Seek the benefit of the city you're in. For in its welfare, you'll find welfare. Context always, always, always dictates the meaning of a particular passage. Okay? Context, 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 context. Can I say it one more time? Context. Right? The second C... Um, here is cross references. Cross references. Cross references. Um, if you have studied any hermeneutics, you know that this is the. <laughs> this is also context, but for the sake of this team, we're going to call it cross references. Okay. So, uh, what, what you've got to know is that, especially in the New Testament, but this happens in the Old Testament as well, um, is that most of the, the writing that you'll find um, is actually a quote. They don't quote it like we quote it. Um, they don't cite like we cite because it's not culturally how they operated. But there are many cases, and you'll find many Bibles will do this. Well, they'll have a little, you know, Isaiah reference in the footnote right next to it. That's because Jesus in that moment is quoting Isaiah. So, you know what would be really helpful? Is to go read that section of Isaiah, because Jesus is trying to make a point. And before I start pulling things apart, I want to figure out the point that he's trying to make. I want to figure out what he's trying to do. I want to cross or maybe maybe there's a word that gets used, and we'll look at an example of this in a moment. A word that gets used that you know how there are some words in a sentence that they just carry a little bit more freight with them. So I want to figure out what's that about. So I might want to do a word study. To go, what am, I, what am I getting into here? When I have this word. Cross-references help us. One of the concepts of biblical interpretation is that scripture interprets scripture. But the way I understand scripture is that I go to other scripture to help me understand it. Because God's, remember, this is special revelation. The intention of the Bible is to reveal God to us. Which means that God, God has made the Bible something we can access we have the ability okay and so scripture now let me let me just offer this caveat sometimes an author will use a word or a phrase in one book of the Bible and a different author or even the same author in a different book will use that phrase and they will mean an entirely different thing so imagine this words are flexible things so what happens to me um, in a text message when I have to read for my wife that's fine (laughs) you're in trouble that could mean a thousand things right that could mean a thousand things she's said that to me dozens of times sometimes it's oh that's fine and we all know the other times right, like, right? that's that's what we're talking about here we have to be really careful not to take and, and do things with the Bible that we would do with no other human speech or interaction we've got to be really careful we've got to be really careful we're looking for context the third uh, C that you have there is culture. Culture. So not only do we have a, a literary context, we have a historical context. We have a historical context. Um, this historical context has all of the things that we have right now. So um, if you were to do an assessment of the current political scene of the United States and how it impacts the people, Right? We would have that, that big chunk. How, who's ruling? What's the economy look like? What's the state of, uh, of that ruler? Are they godly or are they not godly? Um, what happened a hundred years before that? Um, what, what's going... A historical context is so important. Maybe there's, in a passage, a feast or a festival being celebrated in the New Testament. Well, well that's, a, that's a historical, that's a sociological phenomenon that's taking place there. And we sometimes, because we see the Bible as Scripture, because we see it's inspired by God, we forget that God inspires Scripture in place. God works in people, in cultures, in times, in places. Historical context matters so, so, so much. For instance, in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, if you don't know who the Assyrians are, By the way, they're never mentioned one time in the book of Jonah. But if you don't know who the Assyrians are, you will not understand the book of Jonah. You will not understand why Jonah went to Tarshish. You wouldn't even care to think about Tarshish being the last port available to the west. It's literally the opposite side of the world. It's 1,300 miles away. So not only does he go like like around the corner, that's not what he's doing. He's going literally the opposite direction as far as he can go if you don't know who the Assyrians are, you wouldn't know that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And that for the last hundred years, Assyria has plagued northern Israel, which just happens to be the home of Jonah. There have been even deportations that have taken place. Jonah would have heard stories after stories of Assyrians who would come in and take the the babies of, of Israelite families and throw them into pits of dogs. They have been plagued. And so God tells the prophet to go to those people. Now we understand why Jonah wants to just see God bring his judgment. Now we understand why Jonah sits on the side of a hill and says, I'm going to watch Sodom and Gomorrah. Here we come, baby. I got the ringside seat to destruction and I'll be clapping when it happens. We understand when Jonah gets frustrated and says, I knew you would do this. I knew. I knew that you would forgive them because that's what you do. That's why I didn't want to come here. You understand how historical context all of a sudden changes That story moves from being a story about a big fish to something much, much bigger. Historical context matters. All of a sudden you get pictures and movements. You get the understanding that when Mary Magdalene is the one, is the first apostle. Women weren't even allowed allowed to testify in court and Jesus uses her to be the first person to tell anybody about the resurrection. You wouldn't know that. You would think, oh, it's no big deal. But historical context helps us understand. It unlocks keys. We talk about geography there. We talk about symbolism there. We talk about all kinds of things that are happening in that time, in that space. Um, you might be wondering, how do I know this stuff? Right? Well, at the end of this thing are lots of resources. One of the ways you can find historical context is a commentary. You open up and do a little study. One of the ways you can find it is a, a Bible dictionary, where they talk about a topic. Well, you can find it through um, asking someone who might know a study Bible. Many study Bibles have some historical context. This part takes some digging, okay? Okay? This part takes some work, but the work is valuable work. Okay? Now, these three uh, C's are built upon one single word. If I could give you one word, well, let me give you two. Um, One is context, okay? (laughs) You need that one, okay? That's important. Um, The other one is observation. Because what's happening in the text, um, when you're looking at literary context, when you're looking at historical context, is really what you're doing is observing. I, I remember being in, uh, in Bible college in my very first term course when Dr. Um, Vince Medina says, hey, I want to throw a passage up on the screen and we're going we're to observe 30 things about these seven words. I thought, that's impossible. But it's not. One of the things that I do, I preach through books of the Bible. That's what I do at my church. So I have logged, um, just in preaching, 5,000 hours studying 15 books. Okay, I've um, Lots of time. And I still do this. Okay, Almost every week. Where I print off a passage, and I take a pen, and I go nuts and i take all the historical context and all the literary context and i start asking questions this is not the point at which i'm drawing conclusions resist the urge okay you don't know anything yet resist the urge let me show you what i do on a pretty regular basis maybe oh you got to turn this on it works better let me move this out of the way here so, this is a passage of scripture uh, that I looked at a few weeks ago. I did this fresh this week. Um, I'm going to jump up here so you can kind of see what's up. Um, first thing I see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is what? Anybody remember what that's called in, in English? A conjunction, a coordinating conjunction specifically. It's also a contrasting conjunction, which tells me what? Oh, something before that's important, right? Something before that matters. And so, all I did in this passage, you know what I did? I just asked the question what is this contrasting? I didn't get into digging that yet. That's my next phase. But what is this contrasting? But you, who is you? Who is you? Is this a first person pronoun? Is this a second person pronoun? Is it a third person? We've got to dig into that. That you, just a little, um, little hint 95% of the yous in the New Testament are second person plural. So it's like y'all. I'm from Oklahoma, okay? Um, okay? This is, a, this is a second person plural pronoun. Who's there? Who's listening? That matters. It matters to the context of this passage. Is it, is it a mixed audience of people who are saved and not saved? Is it just the, the three most inner circle of disciples? Is it the 12 disciples? Is it all of the, all of the disciples of Jesus? Who's here? Okay? Will receive. What does that imply? They don't have. Right? Power. My goodness. What is that word all about? I'm going to give you a hint. It has nothing to do with dynamite. It's the Greek word dunamis. I'm going to give you a little, little fun thing here because you're not going to find this from this little passage. So you see, receive power, dunamis. It's a word that Luke uses a lot, miraculous capacity. But he's contrasting this with a word that he used previously, and Jesus uses previously in the sentence, which is you shall, you don't have the authority, the exousia, to decide the dates for the times of God's inbreaking of the kingdom, but you have power. So there are two Greek words that you used, I'm gonna, I'm, car- I'm being careful okay you know so David's like a you know major linguistic scholar so I'm intimidated but um, but the um, the two Greek words that commonly get used for power exousia or authority power supernatural capacity Jesus is saying right here you don't have the power but I'm going to give you this power pretty cool right when the Holy Spirit comes upon you does that ring like Old Testament in your ears Like, do you think about, like, Bezalel? Or do you think about Samson? Or do you think about uh, um, Gideon when the Holy Spirit would come upon them? Oh my goodness. I need to understand that's Old Testament language. So how was it used in the Old Testament? So I'm going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me to be. What's the tense of that verb? To be or not to be. To be or not to be, right? Um, is Is that become Is that ongoing? Or is that one time? I want to know what that is. To be my witnesses. What does that mean? What does a witness do in the first century? Who is a witness? What was their responsibility? It just turns out that this is a a legal term. Right? This is a legal term. It has a certain kind of response. So you see, and then there's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. These are geographical references. What bearing do those geographical references have on its interpretation. Fun fact, if you've ever, some of you, I think, I think you had, did you have Acts with me? No, you didn't have Acts. Um, if you have my Acts class, um, then you will learn that, that the book of Acts is organized geographically. It's an organizational motif. So for Luke, he organizes the sequence of the book, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Also, fun fact, Luke, the gospel, is also organized geographically. Except he starts externally and then moves to the center of Jerusalem. Here, Jerusalem goes out. Which may have some interpretive conclusions to it about how it comes to the cross and then the cross goes to the world. You see how, how important it is to observe everything you can in a passage to literally get the nuts and the bolts in this? Literary and historical context matters so, 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 so much. How the words are used. Is there, is there a reference to a partic- particular political leader? Is there, uh, is there an implication of genre? We're looking at Acts right now, which is kind of a, a narrative history. Um, but you might be reading Psalms. Psalms is poetry. It's figurative language. So should we take figurative language Literally? Should, should you take the phrase, I think I'm going to die, literally, right now? No. Because it's figurative. Like, it's a, a word picture. and So we have to be careful about genre. We have to be careful about all this stuff. What am, I, what am I in? If you're in the, the epistles, the letters that Paul writes, those are what's called didactic, which means they're teaching. Paul is saying, this is the way. So you probably should take that pretty literally, because he's not being flowery with his language He's being very direct you See what I'm saying? Okay Let's keep a moving The next C um, it's, it's not really a C But it worked for me Okay <laughs> yeah. uh, Questions qu- 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 Questions Okay uh, it, it just had to happen Okay Questions. This is the point in the observation process, this is the next thing you can do, is ask questions of the passage. You saw me do it up there. Ask questions of the passage. I gave you a bunch that you could ask. Is this a lesson to learn? Is this a lesson? It might be. It might be the point of that passage. This might be the, the intention of the author is to, hey, don't be like this person. Or be like this person. Right? Um, is, uh, is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim or keep? Uh, For narrative stories, the who, what, when, where, why are really helpful. Who's speaking? Who's writing? Who's talking? Where did this occur? You know, the where um, adds color a lot of times. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 16 is in Caesarea Philippi. And he's saying, who do people say that I am? It just so happens he's at a very sp- specific geographic location that adds shape to the questions he's asking. Because it was believed at that time that was the mouthplace place of where, how you got to hell. Well, that, that shapes how you interpret. Who, what, when, where? Ha, uh, why, why did the author write this? Other questions, what's the meaning of blank? What's the significance of this? You know, why is this important? What's the implication? If this is true, then how does this impact this? Right? These are all really, really important questions. Don't be afraid to sit there and write your... If something makes you go, huh, write it down. And then investigate and observe and dig and dig and dig. Most of your work is going to be in this zone all four of the first things are where it all happens. In fact, the more time you spend here, the less time you spend in the next phases because this work helps you get closer and closer and closer and because we believe this is God's Word to us to reveal Himself to us we don't want to move too quickly because we want to be workmen who need not be ashamed accurately dividing the Word of Truth we don't want to take this book that is sacred that is not ours that is God's and use it for our purposes. We're going to use it for His. We've got to understand what we're doing which is why we're so careful. It's because we don't want to say this is what the Bible says or another way to say that is this is what God says and really it's not what God says right there's another name for that it's, it's breaking the commandment that says don't take the Lord's name in vain that's what that actually means is to say this is God saying this and it's actually me I don't want to do that I'm a preacher I do it every week and I go Ooh, I don't want to do that I want God to speak today so I want to be really careful with the text Because it's not mine. It's God's. I want to be humble. Which means I'm going to do the work. That needs to be done. So the first four four of these things. Is a lot of work. Finally you get to conclusions. You get to conclusions. And conclusions are basically. um, How you understand. um, The meaning of the passage. Okay. From all the work you've done. What is this passage saying? Now conclusions are not. Hear me. Are not Applications. Okay, Conclusions are just saying this is what... The, we're not yet to the point where we're saying, hey, this is how I want to teach this. We're not yet to the point which says, this is how I want to preach this. Or I, want to under, I want to understand the passage where it is. Okay? Where it is. So, there are some guys um, who wrote a book that's referenced um, in the back. Um, Duval and Hayes. Um, they wrote a hermeneutics book. And they talked about this process being like um, two villages with a, with a river that runs between them. Okay? Um, and this village um, is where the Bible is. So my goal is to do all the work to understand everything in this village in this village. I stay here as long as I can to get my understanding. Right? now we'll work really hard to come to the conclusion here then especially in the next session we're going to talk about how we build a bridge to now the place where we live okay don't be too quick to jump over the river okay spend as much time as you can here because it will help you it will help you get here okay your job, your conclusion um, is what you think based upon all your work this passage is saying or could be saying um, that is really important so I want to give you a list of resources then we're going to have some questions Okay. I, this is not the exhaustive list this is some helpful things Okay. Um, one of the things that's really important here is an overview of the Bible um, I oversee ministerial credentialing uh, which means that I get to, to uh, observe people's Bible knowledge exams. And what I, I continually observe is that, that most, um, most local church folks, most Christians, don't have a functional understanding of the Bible as a whole. Okay? And so these resources will help you understand the bigger picture of the Bible. The BibleProject.com is absolutely outstanding. I mean these videos are off the charts. They are so good, so accessible. Um, Some of the best work that's being done right now, they're totally free. Um, You will absolutely blow your mind when you watch these videos. You'll learn more about a book of the Bible in five or six minutes than you've probably learned in your entire lifetime. Um, and they're phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, doesn't require a degree to understand them, they're so good, so, so good, give you understanding of Bible and Bible concepts, Um, another couple of resources there, David Platt, uh, he's a PhD out of New Orleans, Uh, you might have heard of his book Radical, Um, so Platt um, is a scholar in his own right, and he did uh, a a session, a six-hour session on Old Testament survey, six-hour session on New Testament survey, and they are the bomb okay he goes through book by book talks about big picture pieces in those books extremely helpful extremely helpful it'd be a great thing to just kind of walk through in your devotional life Uh, recommended commentaries I put some asterisks by some of these because some of them are a little bit more scholarly okay so they're going to have a little bit more highfalutin language and Greek and Hebrew and all that kind of stuff Um, and so if you don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole Don't, okay? Uh, But there are some really good ones. I want to recommend a few on the list. The IVP background commentaries. um, Those are single volume commentaries. Craig Keener is the New Testament guy. He's a Pentecostal. Uh, And so, um, great, great, phenomenal, phenomenal, world-class scholar. Really good work. John Walton. Uh, is another world class scholar, and uh, you will not be disappointed. Single volume, single volume. Another one is Expositor's Bible Commentary. Also, you can get the abridged version of this, it is a single volume. Um, they have the full unabridged version, which is like multiple volumes. Um, these are really good. Uh, the other one I'd recommend from the list is the NIV Application series. Um, these are really good, really good scholars, but they write at a level that just about anybody can understand. And I have really been blessed. By those commentary sets. So uh, the next is dictionaries. Uh, Some of these are free. I note the free ones online uh, that are pretty good. Um, But I will say that IV is it IVP? No, no. The uh, yeah the IVP dictionary series. If you got 450 bucks to to blow, um, that's a really really good one. That's the one I have about I have about three quarters of that set, and it's absolutely outstanding. Um, So if you want to buy a forty dollar book, that would be one of the places I would start. How many of you have ever bought a $40 book? School, right? Yeah. Um, And so, uh, recommended publishers. I wanted to do a list of places that are reputable, uh, because not every publisher uh, is created equal. And so you might read something that says Bible commentary, but it's like Bob's Bible commentary, you know? (laughs) Bibles, you know, commentary and... Book learning, you know, that kind of thing. Um, these, these commentaries are reputable commentaries. You're going to get, or these publishers are reputable publishers. And finally, some other helpful resources, tons of resources there. Um, let me offer two things, and then we'll add, do questions. Um, with your public library in Ohio, you have access to one of the best resources that I have ever found. Called Hoopla. Hoopla is a digital library. It's an app that you download. If you have a library card, which is free, you get access to a load of books, which includes a load of wonderful, like, which it would cost me thousands of dollars to buy commentaries that are from the lists that I describe for free on your iPad or your tablet. Hoopla is free. I am so grateful for Hoopla because it saves me lots of money and it keeps me married because I'm not buying more books, okay? <laughs> so, so it's really, 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 really good. I think this is like the best kept resource of anything that's happening. They've got all Christian audiobooks, they've got all I mean literally phenomenal resource. Phenomenal resource the next one that I want to highlight on the list, there's lots of cool little resources, Seedbed's great, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary has some cool stuff, uh, free courses, but the Blue Letter Bible thing, that, that has a repository, it's great for an interlinear which means version to version. Um, it also has some Greek and Hebrew stuff. Now listen, hear me, if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, tread lightly. Okay? How many of you ever have spoken to someone who's not a native English speaker? And they say a wo- they go, this is a word that they use, and they go, ah, that's not what that word means. We do that with Greek and Hebrew a lot if we don't know it. Okay, and so be very very careful with saying this Greek word means this, because I could say to you, what's the word bat mean? And you could come up with a baseball bat. You could come up with a verb that means this. You could you could come up with you know something you're not supposed to eat, right? Like that, bat. Right? That happens in all kinds of languages. So don't, don't think that just because you have the access to the, the dictionary definition that that's what that means because there are plenty of times when we have a a word that we use that we don't use it in the dictionary definition kind of way. So context determines meaning. Now there are people that you know. For instance, I'm not a Hebrew guy. I've got a little Greek, enough to be dangerous. Okay? But sometimes I need help because I know I wonder what's here. So I call, I phone a friend. I'll phone a friend every once in a while. I phone David Clayton. I go, hey, what does that mean? Because he is a Hebrew scholar. Okay? I do that. So don't think that if... I mean, I've got degrees. Lots of them. Okay? If I'm doing that, please, please, please be careful. Please be careful with, with what you're doing with Greek and Hebrew because you can really mess it up. And there are enough, there's enough that you can do in the English translations of the Bible to get to where you need to be without having Greek and Hebrew at your disposal right now. Does so that make sense? It always sounds good when it says, in the Greek, it um, sounds really cool, but most of the time I'm like, ooh, that's not what that means. Um, right? So questions, questions. Like we have like zero time for them, but... Just a quick... Yeah, um, your recommended publishers, yeah. are they from most important to least important? Or they are not from most important to least important. They are in the list of what I remembered um. <laughs> actually I found it interesting you don't have the yeah so well as uh, I don't have the Asbury one on there because the UMC there can be some really good stuff that comes out of the UMC church and uh, you gotta be really mindful but, um, but yeah the publishers are just my there's other ones that are good those are just my any other questions I know we got to get to another session some of you Okay. Good. <laughs> so the question was: Why are there some verses that are in some versions of the Bible and not others? Um, it has to do with a um, field of biblical scholarship called textual criticism. Okay, um, and basically the thumbnail sketch of this is that we don't have a single original copy in its entirety. We have copies of copies. Now, don't let that scare you, okay? Don't let that scare you because the Bible has more copies that are closer to the originals than any other historical document of its kind, okay? By a long shot, okay? So don't let that scare you. What that means is is that there are, there are earlier copies, um, so for instance, Mark 16, that's probably the most famous one, Um, where where what happens here in Mark 16 is that when the the King James Version of the Bible is translated, they include all these, these sections, right? It's because they have a version of the original manuscripts called the Texas Receptus, okay? What they found in the 40s are something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were an earlier version than the Texas Receptus that did not include Mark six the last verses of Mark 16. And so what many scholars think is that was a later edition that was a couple hundred years following the originals. And so you'll find, you'll find some some versions will have an italic, uh, italics. They'll include it, but they'll have a little note. Other versions will omit it altogether. Okay. Um, and so there are there are stories like that. There are passages like that where we have earlier versions um, that we feel like um, because it's the earlier version it's probably the one that's it's that's more accurate. So that's, that's a very brief um, assessment of that. This may be off topic a little bit, I don't have time to answer, but in the context of 2 Genesis to Exodus, and take time for this. I just want to take oh jesus there's not a lot left. <laughs> okay, so carbon dating comparatively to what the Bible um, teaches. Um, yeah, we don't have... What's my... Ta- um, oh, boy, that's a complicated one. Uh, the intention of Genesis 1, um, we have to remember, um, I, let me caveat this because I don't want you walking out of here saying Josh believes... Sorry, Um, I believe in a six-day creation. I believe that God created everything. I believe that God has the power to do that. I also know that Genesis 1 and 2, um, the intention was to communicate God created everything. Okay? Now, the Bible is never written to be a history or a science science textbook. It doesn't mean that. It won't align. but The intention is different. The ancient authors aren't thinking that, right? They're not thinking that. Moses is not thinking that, right? And so you've got to be somewhat cautious um, trying to push some of those things together. right? I'm not saying they're in conflict. Don't hear me today. Don't walk out of here and tell John Wooten to fire me. okay? Um, because, but it is a complicated conversation. And it's one that sometimes gets uncomplicated um, by people who go, this is what it is. And I go, wait, there's a lot more nuance in it than that. And we just got to recognize that it's a complicated conversation. Um, we're talking about documents that are really, 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 really old. And we got to got to work some of those things out. Now, do I 100% believe God can create the world in six days? Because God can raise Jesus from the dead. So if he can do that, then I can believe that, right? So I started the resurrection. But that's um, the intention of Genesis 1 and 2 um, is, is to establish a story. God is creator. Humanity is prized, made in the image of God. Humanity chooses Separate from God, and there's this curse which initiates right from Genesis three, the redemption plan of humanity, so that the Son of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. That, um, that's where I want to put my attention. Does that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I'll ask, I'll answer questions um, in between because I know some people need to go, and so I'm over by five minutes. And so you've got, you've got another session. If you're not in here, um, what's that gap doing? The what? The app doing the recording. I don't know. I have a little thing here. So it's the tub was no. But you know, I really don't know. I, I really don't know. So okay, yeah. thank you, but, Tammy, sorry. I'm by no means a scholar. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Or <laughs> I I understand what you're kind of saying, but I get lost as to like where do I begin. Where do you begin? Like, I, I want to read a chapter, but you can't take every word in that whole. I mean, you can, but... Yeah, so help me understand with your question. What's your objective? What are you trying to do? I want to understand, like I said, like, the verses, where they come from. Where they come where they from? from. So a good study Bible will help. Okay. Um, a, good, a good study Bible will help. Um, there's some online tools. Um, some of those are on there. Right, um, that you can go. Okay, this um, certainly. The other thing that I happen to have all the time with my, you know, my church is people that they ask me, or they ask to borrow one of my books. And now every pastor is a little different. I, I tend to loan very carefully and graciously, but um, to to create that opportunity. The other thing you can do is go to the public library, or some. I don't know where you live, but university libraries are loaded with great options. And so it depends on how deep you want to go, but a study Bible gets you a long way. Okay. Good, a good first start. because those, those study notes are written to be accessible to just about anybody who, who can get... So would you say read the, the passage and then read what's in the study notes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Read the passage before it, read the passage after it. Um, read the Bible in multiple, la- uh, multiple uh, versions. Because each version is interpreters who are trying to get their hands around this Greek text or Old Testament text, um, Hebrew text, and so when you read it in multiple versions, you'll see how the different versions translate it, and you go, you gotta get, you kind of start to get in the sense behind the words of what it is, or if there's a, a major divergence in the translation, then it makes me go, oh, I want to figure out what that is. Why did? Many times it has to do with theological perspectives of the translator, because. Um, they're making interpretive choices when they translate the text. Well, I mean. I know it probably varies. But yeah, I mean, it varies on the verse. Like, if we had more time, we would have done it together. Um, like a half hour? Maybe. Depends on the. A day? Not a day. Not a day. I've got a lot of practice, too. you got to remember. So. <laughs> like. I do it a lot, so you get a little, you move a little quicker. Um, but it could take half an hour. I mean, it really could. Just, I move quick and then I start digging, you know. Um, it would, like, be maybe, an hour then. maybe, yeah. Depends on the access. I will say another great resource is the local library. Yes. Yeah. Go to the library, especially college libraries. College libraries have great books. Hiram Library is close to me. and I go there all the time uh, to be around the books. Um, so, um, okay, I don't know that I have enough of these because it doesn't look like my printer printed enough. But can you do me a favor and hand these out? That's part two. That's part two. <laughs> hey, he's helping. Yeah, that's what that means then. Thank you the that's right. Where do you go to church? Who's the pastor there? Michael Rice. Oh, shit. He does passage and he about
1: this. this Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah, right? I love it too. That's why I do it. Yeah. I have this crazy belief that when you come to church, uh, we should talk about the Bible. So. I know that's crazy. And I. I like that. Yep. That's, that's exactly how you I'm in the book of Acts right now, and I'm actually chapter 4 tomorrow, the last half of chapter 4, and I have been in the book of Acts since September the 15th. So it's going to take us probably two years to get through it. Yeah. Yeah, Revelation's a bear. Harry, you've done Revelation, right? That's a bear. Revelation's a bear. I had a, uh, I had a scholar friend of mine who said, um, to understand Revelation, you have to spend a lifetime in the Old Testament. Because um, the, the images are there. Um, there's a great, um, in fact, on, on Hoopla, there's a great set of lectures by Dr. Craig Keener on Revelation. Um, <laughs> phenomenal. And he goes through. He's probably the the, the leading, um, the, yeah. He's probably the leading scholar when it comes to ancient sources. So the Bible's written, of course, in times when, when they're referencing. Thank you, ancient sources. And uh, that dude, his footnotes are bananas. Um, but he, um, but he talks about the different references. Oh, geez. Okay. He talks about the different references that are being made in uh, Revelation. Some of them are Old Testament. Um, some of them are, are Greek. Some of them are Roman. Um, because he's just using all the stuff of his day. And so it looks like the pictures and images all are so unfamiliar to us. But really, he's using all of these different cultural references to help in the same similar way that we would do in our talking. That's why, um, I mean, think about how many references we make. I was not as aware of it as until I brought um, an Indian Indian immigrant. We have an Indian immigrant campus of our church. And so my my campus pastor there, there's all the time when I will use an idiomatic phrase. And listen, I'm from Oklahoma. That's all how we talk. We talk in those little, you know, homespun kind of, you know, phrases. And I'll I'll say something like, that dog won't hunt, man. And he's like, what did you just say? Um, Well, the Bible's got those. The Bible's got those. And so, because um, it's language, and so everybody who read it was like, "Oh yeah, sure," right? But we're going, right? So we got to dig. We got to do a little digging. Oh, time the session starts. Oh, it starts at two fifteen. I let everybody. Out, I let everybody out a little early. I didn't. I didn't realize it was an hour. Yeah. Okay. There's people moving within classes now. Okay. My bad. I could have. I could have taken more questions. I thought it was 145. Got it in my brain. Yeah. ESV. That's a good one. ESV Study Bible is good. Yeah. There's some. There's some good ones out there. A ton of great resources got to dig got to know what's right Part, the hard thing is discerning which ones are which ones are good and which ones aren't and so hopefully what I started you with is a good um, a good list that's just is not very effective What I would say too, you know, based upon what we talked about, since this is kind of one session or the other, is uh, um, this work of interpretation um, is not to be done in isolation. Sometimes where we get wrong or get off kilter is we get, we have a, a moment maybe we felt like, oh, this is it, this is the thing, um, and we we take that and we're like, oh my goodness, and then uh, we don't ever expose that to others, <laughs> and so. Um, they don't have an opportunity to go, well, I don't know. Right? I don't know. That, that feels wonky. Um, and when that happens, you know, we live in isolation, that's, um, theology, Bible interpretation is always done, meant to be done in community.